You're listening to Sermon Audio from First Baptist Church of Van Walsteen. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Amen. Good morning. Good to see you today. Love to worship with you. I love to um, see you each week. I do not take for granted uh, this time that we have together. Uh, It's my joy and privilege to open God's word with you. And so thank you to our worship team who lead us so faithfully uh, each week. Uh, to worship. And um, we're going to take our Bibles this morning and turn to Psalm 105. If you have a copy of God's Word there, turn to Psalm 105. While you're turning there, let me remind you of uh, the Joshua Project um, and especially uh, provision partners. This is an opportunity for some of you to jump in and be a part of the Joshua Project. Uh, Maybe uh, you're new to the First Baptist family and so you haven't had an opportunity. And so we've identified four areas uh, that you can uh, give toward uh, specifically. Uh, now, it's not to say that you can only give to those areas or if you do give, it has to be designated to one of those areas. Um, but uh, you'll find those over here on the display. And some of you have already started doing that. You've jumped in and uh, you're making it possible. Uh, for us to, uh, to build and to move, Lord willing, very soon. In fact, I am usually over there at least uh, one time during the week, sometimes more. And uh, I can tell you that uh, a lot of what has happened thus far um, has pretty much been uh, the bones and the guts, right? It's like not, not the pretty stuff, uh, the plumbing, the wiring, and all that kind of stuff. They were putting in that massive ductwork uh, this last week up top there in the worship space. Uh, But pretty soon, they're going to start closing up the walls, and pretty soon, things are going to get a lot prettier, and so uh, exteriors will be done and all that kind of stuff, so be in prayer for all of that. Uh, I get uh, get asked often um, when we're supposed to move in, Um, and uh, I wish I could tell you an exact date. Um, Our hope and our prayer is still that we are in uh, by the 1st of October. Um, Our building superintendent, our contractors are telling us that is still... Uh, a doable thing, uh, but there's still a lot of things that have to happen before that time. So I uh, continue to uh, pray faithfully and give sacrificially uh, toward the Joshua Project. It's really important that we do that. Uh, well, we're in a study of the book of Psalms right now. Uh, if it's your first time here, we're actually uh, well into this summer series. And um, let me just kind of also share with you where we're going for the rest of the summer in terms of the preaching calendar and the schedule. Uh, Lord willing, I'm going to be preaching Psalm 105 today, Psalm 106 next week, and Psalm 107 the next. And then uh, I will not be preaching for three weeks. Now, I'm not going to be gone. Uh, I'll be gone some, but I'll I'll be back in. But Jace is going to preach on the 23rd. He's going to be preaching a Torah psalm. Uh, The next week, special treat, uh, Dr. Kyle Essery will be with us, and he's going to be preaching on the 30th uh, on Psalm 110. A great, great psalm. Uh, it's a kingship psalm, and I'm looking forward to, uh, to him preaching on that Sunday. And then Chris Burge, our ministry resident, will be preaching on August the 6th, and he'll be preaching a mission psalm. And so that's uh, what you have to look forward to kind of moving forward. And then, Lord willing, on the 13th of August, uh, we will jump back into John's gospel. Um, that's, a, that's a big Sunday for us. That's kind of like back-to-school Sunday. I think school here in Van Alstine starts back on the 10th. Uh, and so we'll have some special things going into that weekend. One of those things, uh, let me just go ahead and uh, give you a little teaser. We've been working for a number of weeks now on a rebranding uh, for the church. And so we're excited about unveiling that on the 13th. So you can look forward 
uh, to, to being here on that Sunday. It'll be a great time. Uh, one of the things with a new building is that you've got to new, do new signage and all of that kind of stuff. And we'd really been uh, looking at something like this for a while now. And this is just the perfect time to do it, uh, a rebranding. And so um, we're excited to reveal that to you on that Sunday. But right now we're in Psalm 105. And one of the things that we've been learning together through this book of ancient poetry is that people have always experienced a wide range of emotions. I think one of the reasons that many of us so connect with the Psalms is because they just, in a very real and raw way many times, express those emotions. Maybe you found yourself reading a psalm and you're like, man, this guy seems really frustrated. Like, I get that because sometimes I'm really frustrated or this person seems to be really, you know, in doubt right now and I can identify with that. And so we find those kinds of things expressed in a variety of ways throughout the book of Psalms. There's lament and there's thanksgiving and there's celebration and there's frustration and there's anger and there's praise and all of those things are found here in the Psalms. Now this morning, and really over the next three weeks, um, we're going to be looking at historical Psalms. I think this is a great time, a great weekend for us to get historical, right? It reminds me of the older couple have been married for a number of years, and they were going through kind of a rough patch in their marriage. Communication seemed to be breaking down. They seemed to be uh, fussing and fighting and arguing more than normal, and so they went to see this marriage counselor, and the counselor was trying to determine what the deal was and asking some questions and things, and the the guy finally said, well, it just seems like whenever we, we argue, it's like, not only does my wife get hysterical, she also gets historical. Um, she brings up everything that I've ever done wrong in the past, right? Um, sometimes it's not a good idea to get historical, um, but there are other times when it's a great idea to get historical, and this is one of those weekends. In fact, I would really encourage you in your celebration uh, of this great country uh, in which we live and uh, the blessings that we enjoy here, uh, that you do more uh, than eat barbecue and watch fireworks. I hope that you'll take a few minutes to get historical, to think back over all that God has done and the people that he's used uh, in, in the establishment of this great country over our 247-year history now. To think about the sacrifices that have been made and the risks that have been taken for the sake of religious freedom. And to go back and just, just review your history a little bit. And maybe that was something that you never had much interest in. In fact, history for me was always one of my favorite subjects in school. Uh, in fact, I find it difficult to even understand how some people would say that history is boring or irrelevant. And maybe one of the reasons that I feel that way is because my first exposure to history really didn't come in long lists of names and dates. I can remember as an elementary student reading a biography of Abraham Lincoln. And I remember, I, I wasn't necessarily at that point in my life an avid reader just yet, but I remember being drawn into the story. And that's really what history is. It's a story, right? I mean, the word story is found in the word history itself. And some would say, what is his story? And I think that's true. And so it's really important that we look at Psalms like Psalm 105 today, a historical psalm. It's relevant to us because we're all people living in time. Now, I realize there are a few people out there that might suggest some of us are aliens right now, but we're not going to go there this morning. We're all people living in time, a time which future generations will call history. And the older I get, the more I discover that I'm becoming more historical all the time, right? Uh, there are things that have happened in my lifetime that are now found in history books. 
that our students are learning about. Like, you think about the number of kids walking around today that were not alive when 9-11 happened. It's pretty crazy to think about how fast time marches on. And so history is very, very important to us. The people from history, uh, if you study it, well, you'll discover they're really not that different from us in many ways. They had dreams and aspirations. They had fears and failures and struggles and triumphs just like we do. They had relationships like we do with friends and family. They had convictions and doubts. Some of them seemed pretty clear uh, in understanding how much they had accomplished and how much they had contributed to the world around them, while others seemed to die in relative obscurity only to, uh, to, to find their significance emerging later, many times years after their deaths. And as believers, history is even more relevant to us because the Lord of history is our God and Father. The Ancient of Days, the one who was faithful to his promises to his people in past generations despite their sins and failures is the same God who will be faithful to his promises to us despite our fears and our sins and our failures. So today we're looking at Psalm 105. Next week, Lord willing, we'll look at Psalm 106. These are two historical psalms which close book four of the psalms. You remember if you were here in the introductory message in this series, we said that the book of Psalms is divided into five books. And in most of your Bibles, you will see that designation. And Psalm 105 and 106 kind of close out book four of the psalms. They are a pair They're meant to go together, probably written by the same person at the same time, drawn from the same source. Um, Now, to to help make the connection, in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, we we find the story of David bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And in verse number 7 there, 1 Chronicles 16, we read, On that day, David first assigned Asaph and his relatives to give thanks to the Lord. And then we have a psalm. In, in 1 Chronicles 16, in verses 8 through 36. Now, it's not clear from verse number 7 whether David himself wrote this psalm and gave it to Asaph, or whether he asked Asaph to give thanks to the Lord, and as a part of that assignment, then Asaph wrote the psalm. But we do know this. The psalm begins with the, the, the first 15 verses of Psalm 105. That's where it's found. That's the, the connection there. And so the middle part... Uh, if you look at First Chronicles 16, it actually matches uh, Psalm 96. And then the ending verses of, of that, uh, that uh, chapter in First Chronicles matches the ending of Psalm 106. And so there's this connection. Together, Psalm 105 and 106 cover both sides of the story of God's redemption of his people out of Egypt into the promised land. Uh, and they focus on God's faithfulness. Faithfulness to his covenant promise to Abraham. And you'll find that particularly here in Psalm 105. Psalm 106 next week focuses uh, on the constant sin and rebellion of God's people. So what you see is in Psalm 105, you have kind of this, this this explanation and this unpacking of God's faithfulness, God's covenant faithfulness through all generations. And then in Psalm 106, you kind of see a picture of sinful mankind's response to that. And that's really a major theme that runs throughout Scripture. 
You see these cycles of, uh, of apostasy, they're sometimes called, in the Old Testament, especially in, in the, the, the wilderness wanderings and those things. You'll see the people of God, they're like, man, this is such a blessing. Oh, and we forgot about the blessings. Now we're grumbling. Now we're complaining. Now, and you just see this like vicious cycle. And I think if we're all completely honest, we would say that we can see some of the same thing in our own lives. I mean, I've had seasons where I felt like I was really walking in close communion with the Lord and just rejoicing in his goodness, and my, my attention was, was focused on him. My affections were stirred for him, uh, it seems, daily. And then there are other times, not so much. Like, I'm filled with Mike Lovely. My goodness. Like, what, what in the world? And so I think it's so important for us to go back and see these things. And so together, these psalms give us words to thank the Lord for being faithful to keep his covenant promises to his people despite our constant sin and stubborn rebellion. And while these are both lengthy psalms, uh, if you've taken a glance, you see here that uh, these are lengthy psalms with lots of historical detail in them. Uh, they help us see something that's really important and wonderful. God always keeps his covenant promises to his people, faithfully giving what he has promised, despite our tendency toward foolish, sinful rebellion against him. And so this morning, we're going to do like we have done over the last several weeks, although this morning, I'm going to give you a bit of a break, okay? We're only going to stand together and read aloud the first 11 verses of Psalm 105, all right? We're not going to read the entire chapter together. But I do want us together to read the first 11 verses. So go ahead and stand with me. And if you have an ESV copy of the Word of God, that's great. If not, you might want to read from the screen so that we are all together on the same page. We're going to read this aloud in unison, Psalm 105. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, to you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. Thank you. You may be seated. I want us to first look at verses 1 through 6 here, and I want us to see the importance of how we worship the Lord of history. We talked about this a little bit last week as we unpack Psalm 100. Uh, you'll find that Psalm 105 here begins with this master course in right worship. How do we worship God? Well, verses 1 through 6, you'll find, give us seven elements of worship along with the right attitude and the right mindset that we need, rooted in who God is, as we said last week, and what he has done for us, or who he has made us to be as his chosen people. And you'll notice these come in the forms of, of what we call, biblic, in the biblical interpretation, imperatives. These aren't just mere suggestions. 
It's not as if this is like, hey, this is a good idea. No, these are imperatives or commands is maybe a better way to understand it. And I want you to notice what those are as I, again, read for you those first six verses. Pay special attention. If you're one who underlines in your Bible or highlights or whatever, you might highlight or underline these words. It says, oh, give, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. And then verse number five there begins with a very, very important imperative. It's the word remember. Remember. If I was to give this morning's message a title, I would call it, Let's Get Historical. Let's remember. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. And so what are the elements of right worship? These are things that I think you will find in a typical Sunday morning worship gathering here at First Baptist Van Alstine. Number one, thanksgiving. Give thanks to the Lord. That's not something that is supposed to be just set apart on, uh, around Thanksgiving every year, around late November. It's something that we're to do every time we gather. We're to give thanks to the Lord for who he is and what he has done. Give thanks to the Lord. Then there's a prayer of invocation. It says, call upon his name. Call upon his name. Cry out to him. Then there's proclamation. Make known his deeds. Tell of all his wonderful works. Then there's singing and praise. It says glory in his name, in his holy name. There are prayers of intercession where we're told to seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. And then remembrance. Remembrance of God's works and God's words. And here's the thing, we are to do these things with joy and earnestness and gratitude and wonder because of who God is and as the one who is worthy of all praise and also because of who he is, who, who he in his grace has made us to be. I know most of us can remember when, when we were kids, there were probably certain things that we did not like to do. Certain chores, maybe, that we were given regularly, certain tasks that we were assigned, certain things that we were told to do, and we just didn't like to do it. And as a result, we often had a bad attitude. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, like you're told to go clean your room, and it's like, that's where you just like get the eye roll and the shoulder slumps, like, oh, it's like, you know, that kind of thing. I think your, your heart attitude, the way that you go about something, is as important as what you're doing. And so that's, that's to be true in our worship. If, if for you, being here each week or every morning when you rise and spend time with the Lord, if for you it's drudgery, if for you it's like, I've got to do it. No, we get to worship. And it should stir our affections and, and our heart. This is my favorite day of the week, not because I get to come and hear myself preach every week. Because we get to gather, I get to gather with my brothers and sisters in Christ and friends and neighbors, and we get to together look into the very word of God. That is huge. 
It's huge. What a privilege that is. And on this Independence Day weekend, we need to be mindful. There are people in other parts of the world who don't get to do this. And if they do, it's under completely different circumstances. They can't express in, with exuberance and, 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 and volume and all those things the goodness of God for even fear of their lives. So we're to do that with great joy and praise for who God is. You'll notice here that we are offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. Now you say, wait a minute, Pastor. I don't, I don't think this description applies to me because I'm not Jewish. I would suggest that you go home this afternoon and read Galatians 3 and 4. Because when you, when, when you do that, you'll find in Galatians 3.29, it says, If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So this song can very appropriately be sung, not just by ancient believers, but by the church today. It is those who belong to Christ Jesus who are the heirs of these covenant promises and his, this redemption story. What I'm telling you this morning is that this is truly our story, as well as his story and his covenant faithfulness and our redemption is the story. Number two, as we look at verses 7 through 11, I want us to notice why we worship the Lord of history. Why we worship the Lord of history. So if verses 1 through 6 kind of establish a pattern for how we're to worship the Lord, then verses 7 through 11 really get to the heart of why we worship the Lord. Verse 7 first says, He is the Lord our God. Remember, we looked at those two words last week in Psalm 100. Those two names for God. He is the Lord, our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He is Yahweh, the eternally unchanging, self-sufficient one who is our God. And his judgments are in all the earth. That is, he is absolutely sovereign over all things all over the world. Not just over his people and their history, but over all people and all history over the whole earth. We can see the Lord's judgments at work. His judgments in all the earth have a purpose, and that is to keep his covenant promises. Notice what it says in verse 8. It says he remembers his covenant forever. The word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, he confirmed to Jacob as a statute to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, to you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. So a thousand generations, that phrase that you see there in verse number, uh, in verse number eight, is a way of saying forever. Forever. So we are here Literally, thousands of years after this ancient psalm, Psalm 105, was written. And check this out. God's covenant promises still stand today. Now, when we go to the grocery store and we we buy certain food items, one of the things that we're looking for and looking at is the expiration date, right? I bought some meat this last week, and one of the things I wanted to, to, to make certain of was that this meat was still going to be good, that our 4th of July celebration wasn't going to turn into you know, salmonella poison or botulism for my family or anything. That would kind of ruin things. So um, I'm looking at that. The promises of God, the covenant promises of God, there's no expiration date. There isn't. It's forever. So for a thousand generations, again, is a way of saying forever. 
the specific promise named here uh, of land to Abraham and his offspring has been expanded in Christ to the promise that the meek who trust the Lord will inherit the earth. So as with all things in the Old Testament, this is really important, we need to read these verses through the lens of their fulfillment in Christ. Now, this is not just about a strip of land on the east coast of the Mediterranean Sea, as important as that is. As important as that is. Really, really important real estate, to be sure, okay? It, it was just given to ethnic Jews, okay? It's far bigger than that. Because in the words of, of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 and 22, it says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and, and, and who also has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as, our, as a guarantee. So Psalm 105 is ultimately calling us to thank and worship God because of all of his covenant promises which are fulfilled in Christ. And applied to us by the Holy Spirit. Now, verses 12 through 42, the biggest section of Psalm 105 here, is where we find the wonderful works of the Lord of history. And those verses unpack and they illustrate for us God's faithfulness to his covenant promises by rehearsing the history of God's redemption of his people from the time when he made his covenant with Abraham to the time of the conquest of Canaan, the promised land, under Joshua. It's really important that there are times when we get historical. I had one such opportunity this past week. I went with my daughter Ashley to go pick up some furniture in, uh, in Argyle, or in Aubrey, rather. And so we had a little bit of time together. Uh, riding along there, and uh, she began to ask me some questions about uh, the early days of mine and Christie's marriage, and 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 some questions about you know what, what were we doing at that time, and just and it, it allowed me to go back and get historical for a moment, uh, to remember some of the things about those early days, some now thirty four, almost thirty four years ago. Um, we at one point lived in a in literally a one room apartment. I was a youth pastor at the time, and I would tell my students, I would say, "Check this out. I can lie down on the floor and be in my living room, my bedroom, my kitchen, and my dining room all at the same time." And I was like, "Those are some humble beginnings, right?" I mean, we didn't have much. I'll never forget one time working for the church. I go into the little spot where we're going to get our paycheck, and I found a notice in there that said, "We apologize. Funds are not available at this time to write your check." I'm like, wow, how am I supposed to tell the people that I you know, pay my car payment to that? Like, so there were some days back there that were like, I mean, it, it wasn't always easy, right? And then, and then we talked about you know, life on the dairy farm and, and some of those kind of things and the ways that God worked in our lives and led us through different seasons and times and times of struggle and hardship and, and all of that. It was, just, it, was a, it was a good experience for me to go back and think back through those things. And the craziness of it all, and in the seasons of doubt, and all of that. So the focus here of verses 12 through 42 is on the faithful sovereignty of God. And you'll notice something. We're not going to go through this entire chapter, verse by verse necessarily. But what I do want you to see here is that God is sovereign in both the trials and the triumphs of his people. 
Because if you do take the time to get a little historical and think back over your life, and those of you who are married and got kids and grandkids and all that, you think back over your life and your marriage and your relationships and all those things, what you will find is the history of your life is characterized by trials and triumphs with a lot of very normal days in between, right? Trials and triumphs. We've experienced them both. And over 34 years of marriage now, I can, I can get historical and I can just thank God for his faithfulness and my sweet wife's faithfulness because there were some days where, I mean, she had to live out quite literally in sacrifice the vows that she made to me standing in front of Southridge Baptist Church in Conneaut, Ohio on July 29, 1989. In sickness and in health. In times of of want and prosperity in times of all those things. That's why it's good for us to sometimes get historical. Now, I want you to notice the strong language of God's sovereign hand at work in both those trials and triumphs of God's people here in Psalm 105. I want to highlight just a couple of sections. If you look down at verses 16 through 19, listen to what it says there. When he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread. Does that sound like a trial or a triumph? Sounds like a trial, right? He had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron. That sounds like a trial or a triumph? Sounds like a trial. Uh, yeah, until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. Okay, we see that so in verses 16 through 19. Then if you'll skip down to verses 23 through 25, you'll notice it says there, Then Israel came to Egypt... Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham, and the Lord made his people very fruitful. That sounds like triumph. And made them stronger than their foes. He turned their hearts to hate his people to deal craftily with his servants. And so just in those two short sections of Psalm 105 here, we see a picture of both trials and triumph. And I think it's important that we hear these strong words. God sent the famine on the land. God sent Joseph, sold as a slave, hurt by prison, kept him in prison until the time was right. God turned the hearts of the Egyptians against the Israelites, caused them to hate the people, uh, his people. It was their hate, and they're responsible for their own hate, but God wanted it directed against his people as key to their deliverance by his hand. And so what do you see? I mean, we're looking at more than just historical facts. If God had not sent famine, the people of Israel would not have ended up in Egypt. If God had not put Joseph in prison and kept him there, he would not have been in a position to interpret Pharaoh's dream and to be used by God to deliver his people. If God had not turned the hearts of the Egyptians against his people, his people would never have wanted to leave Egypt and journey to the promised land. If God had not led the Egyptians to deal shrewdly with the Israelites, he would not have had occasion to display his power in the plagues that he used to deliver his people. Are you getting the picture here? We need to see how all of these trials, as terrible as they were in themselves, were all ordained by God, used by God sovereignly as part of his greater plan for the display of his own glory and the good of his people in keeping his promise toward them. We need to see this because we need to know that in 2023, he is the Lord of our trials too. And what he orders, hardship. 
For the same reason, to show his glory in saving us. If we're, if we're left comfortable, for example, in our sin and unbelief, we would be cut off from God and his saving grace forever. So often, the very things which hurt us so deeply are the things God uses to draw us to himself. And if we were all for just a moment to hit the pause button and get historical, look back over the course of your life, you would say, along with me, I've got a, I've got a strong feeling this is true, the times and the seasons where you grew the most in Christ's likeness were not necessarily the mountaintops of victory and triumph, but the valleys of despair and defeat and hardship. Because you found yourself in a unique place of dependence on God. So God uses all those things, the trials and the triumphs. Let's think about the triumphs here for just a moment. God's not only sovereign over the trials, he also governs our triumphs as well, which he also uses for his glory and our good in the keeping of his promises to us. Psalm 105 here focuses primarily on two major triumphs of God's people. The rise of Joseph to be prime minister of Egypt and the powerful plagues and the resulting exodus of Israel from Egypt. Now, I will tell you, some Bible critics will say that Psalm 105 is mistaken because it puts the plagues in a different order than they're found in the Old Testament uh, otherwise, and then and skips a couple of them. Just understand this. Psalm 105 is a song of thanksgiving. It is not an actual history lesson. Okay, so that's not the point here. It's celebrating the power of God as the one true God over the pretended false power uh, of the false gods of Egypt. And so not only is God sovereign over both the trials and the triumphs of his people, but the triumphs come only after the trials. And the trials are necessary to set up the triumphs. <laughs> this is a consistent pattern in the life of God's people. And I suspect it's a consistent pattern in your life as well. So think about this. The cross comes before the crown. In fact, not only that, but the cross is necessary to make way for the crown. Christ was humiliated to the point of death on a cross before he was exalted far above every name. The same is true for those of us who follow him. In this life, we suffer trials and struggles before we experience victory. And, and we, check this out, we don't experience the full and final victory at all in this life. The crown awaits us in glory. That's why scripture says the sufferings of this time are, are not to be even compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. So that leads us then finally to the purpose of the Lord of history. Why is it that God is working in all of these things? What is God trying to accomplish in his people as he fulfills his covenant promises? You'll notice the last three verses of Psalm 105 bring us to our response and to God's purpose in delivering his people from Egypt and bringing them into the promised land. Verse 43, it says this, So he brought his people out with joy his chosen ones, with singing. And he gave them the lands of the nations. They took possession of the fruit of the people's toil, that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. Why did God bring his people into the promised land? 
It was so that they might keep his statutes, observe his laws. It was so that they would honor him and obey him. But why? Well, for their own good, as well as for the display of his wisdom and goodness to them. And so when we say God works all things for his glory and for our good, this is central to it. He redeems us and keeps his covenant promises of redemption to us. He saves us. And he does two great miraculous things to make this a reality. Don't lose sight of this. Christ takes our sin in on himself on the cross, vanquishing sin and death in his death and resurrection. We just sang about that earlier. Number two, the Holy Spirit changes our hearts and brings us to faith in Christ and to new life in him. In other words, God miraculously accomplishes both our salvation in Christ's death and resurrection, and he miraculously applies that redemption to us by changing our hearts and giving us new life in Jesus. So God keeps his promises, redeems his people, so that we will worship him, obey him from the heart sincerely. And as we worship him and obey him, here's what's most important. Our lives become a living expression of the close of Psalm 105. And we praise the Lord. So we sing and live a resounding hallelujah. We sing and we live a resounding hallelujah. So don't you dare this morning hear this teaching on Psalm 105 and think that it's enough for you to just show up here every Sunday and sing some songs. No, no, no. Things are incomplete unless you walk out those doors every single week and you live a hallelujah to the Lord. You live a hallelujah. You see, we here in Christ Jesus, we have a better hope than a promised land. Canaan was a shadow of the reality of a heavenly home promised to us. And here's a final reason to embrace Christianity. Christianity offers you an answer to the inner ache of homesickness. In fact, I would say this. If you are here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, you should not feel especially at home in this world. Now, I hope that you have a home. I hope that you enjoy your home. I hope that it's homey for you in your home and all those things. But ultimately, this is about embassy living. We did a whole series called Embassy Living a few years ago. Because if we're followers of Jesus, as the old song says, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. This world is ultimately not our home. And we shouldn't feel especially comfortable in this world. And I'll go so far as to say, you should feel less comfortable in this old broken, sinful world all the time. C.S. Lewis stated it this way, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. I was made for another world. Psalm 105 points us in the direction of our final destination. Our final destination. One day the saints will be home. 
Remember this truth. In the midst of struggle and suffering, and go on running the race of faith with your eyes fixed on Jesus until you arrive in his presence. And understand, he's using it all sovereignly, the good, the bad, and the ugly, ultimately for his glory and for our good. Let's get historical. If we could for just a moment bow our heads and close our eyes. And I am going to ask you in these final moments that we're together to get historical with me. And I want to help you do that with a simple question that really should have a very simple answer. Can you point to a time in your life? You may not know the exact date, the exact time, even the exact location necessarily, but can you point to a time in your life when you turned from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ? For me, it was on November the 24th, 1974. I happen to remember the date. I happen to remember the place. I was at a Thanksgiving service at the First Free Will Baptist Church in Garland, Texas. And I sat there as an eight-year-old boy. And I listened to people in our church walk up to the front of our church and share testimonies of thanksgiving and praise. And I noticed that there was a common theme, a common thread that ran through those testimonies. People were saying things like, I'm so thankful to know that my sins are forgiven, to know that heaven will someday be my home. I'm so thankful that, that I, I can be in a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And all. They, they, they were saying it a little bit different ways, but they're all essentially saying the same thing. And I can remember sitting there in that service I remember falling under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. As a kid who had not lived some life of hardened sinfulness and those kinds of things, but I came to the realization that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. I knelt with my dad that evening and I prayed and trusted Christ as my Savior. Now, I can't tell you that from that moment on, my life has been nothing but amazing. And my walk with the Lord has been nothing but amazing. No, it's been marked by seasons of doubt, seasons of sinful rebellion, but also seasons of grace and forgiveness and mercy. And love. In these final few moments, as we get historical, if you cannot point to a time in your life when you turn from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ, I want to invite you today to take a step of faith. Make this a day worth remembering. would love to meet with you at the close of the service, would love to open God's word with you, share with you how you can know that you're in a right relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ.
There may be some here today who would say, Pastor, I'm so grateful that that is my testimony. It's one of faith in Christ, but I'm in, a, I'm in an especially difficult season right now. I'm in a dry patch in my relationship with the Lord. Maybe you're in a season of doubt because you've been experiencing some of those trials, things that are difficult to understand, hard to accept. It's a little more difficult to see God working in those seasons. Will you trust sovereign God that he specializes in taking the good, the bad, and the ugly and using it all ultimately for his glory and for our good. And I want our prayer today as we leave here that we would not only sing a hallelujah, but that we would live it every day. When people look at our lives, they come to know us. And more than thinking what an awesome person we are, they would say, oh, what a savior. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. I thank you that when we come together as we have this morning, we come to worship, to praise, to call upon the ancient of days, the Lord of history. So Lord, we want to close this service even now in a time of worship and proclaim together, oh, what a savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.